it's it's just got to be different than than what's in our water, cause cause ours is okay. The guys from from PG and E told me they sat right in the kitchen and 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 told me that it was it was fine. I know, I know, but the toxicologist that I've been talking to. He gave me a list of problems that can come from hexavalent chromium exposure. Everything you all have is on that list. No, no, no. No, that's that's not what that's not what our doctor said. He said that well, that one's got absolutely nothing to do with the other. But PG&E paid for that doctor. And we are back, but before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. We also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, Alex, here we are, second episode of the new year in Contrarian's goodness. We have a new intro, we have a new outro, but the level of uh, awesomeness in our patron channel remains. And so we got to do the quick recap as usual. We're going to start with the Travolti Steer, $1. What does $1 get you on the Contrarian's Patreon? Well, it gets you access to all the stuff that didn't make it into the episodes uh, on our cutting room floor segments. You can just go through all that. Almost every episode has clips that don't make it for time or because they're just too removed from the actual conversation that we're having about the movie. But they're not too removed to be on the Patreon channel. Sometimes we combine them. We have two or three episodes worth of a current room floor stuff in one segment, but it's good stuff. Uh, same way that our bonus episodes are good stuff. This month, our bonus episode is on the really, really old vampire movie Nosferatu, requested slash demanded by patron Jordan Mance. Hell yeah. I'm going to tackle that, that classic. And uh, I mean, I remember watching parts of it when I was in film school, but I couldn't tell you, you know, how much of what I remember is from that time that we watched parts of it and how much is just because it's embedded in pop culture. And it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's what that's what the Nosferatu vampire looks like. So I'm looking forward to actually sitting down and just like soaking it in. Uh, have you ever seen it beginning to end, Alex? I remember watching it once, but it, it, it was long enough ago that I definitely need to rewatch it. All right. Well, we're doing like the black and white silent version I'm sure that there's a colorized uh, DVD out there. That we're not we're not going to do that. We're just going to do the original. So you have access to that along with all the other bonus episodes that we've done and all the other uh, special events that we've had on our Patreon. Now, if you want more, then you go up a tier. The Winoni's tier will give you access also to our pre-recording notes and will give you access to our quick video reviews. This month, we're getting together once again via Werby to do our dual quick video review of A Good Day to Die Hard, the Oof. so far final installment of the Die Hard franchise, a movie that we covered a long time ago. We, we had help that time. We were, a friend and patron, Chess Fisher, came all the way from Australia and, uh, and joined <laughs> us in that conversation. But this time it's just Alex and I. And uh, I mean, it's been at least five years, maybe longer since since last time we watched A Good Day to Die Hard and we're gonna we're gonna do it on video. We're gonna share our feelings, and maybe maybe they've changed. Maybe we we can appreciate what that movie was trying to do in a way that we didn't back then. We'll see. And then, of course, you also have access to Contrarians After Hours. 
That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're playing, that we're reading, that we're thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Well, it's about 10 days into November right now. It'll be a little bit later by the time this gets posted. But I did uh, try to watch 30 horror movies in October. I'm not sure I quite hit the mark, but uh, we're going to be recapping the movies I watched uh, first time watches in the month of October and my thoughts on them. Uh, of course, this is all fall within the realm of horrors. So as you all know, I'm a big fan of even even some new movies like recent movies because I watched that totally killer movie. So it's not just going to be all be old shit. I know that's what you all expect from me. We'll be talking <laughs> about something recent also. But uh, recap of my uh, Shocktober watching list. Shock October. Uh Alex, I, I do have some horror movies as well on my on my list of things that I watched. I'll also be doing like just quick recaps. And uh some of them are new, some of them are old. I I followed up our delightful conversation about the Exorcist by watching the Exorcist 2, which was a terrible idea. I also watched The Exorcist Believer, the new Exorcist movie. <laughs> All right. And then I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Uh, and I watched the Wes Anderson. This is not, there's nothing to do with The Exorcist. I watched the, the new Wes Anderson collection of shorts available on Netflix. Alex, you should really try them because they're 17 minutes each, except for the longer one. It's like bite sized Wes Anderson goodness to lure you back into that, that gray area where you actually were able to enjoy a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> Well, that's because Rushmore is good and most everything else I've seen is not. So, Well, maybe these shorts will, will change your mind. It's uh, true. Who's to say? Yep. And uh, and also, I recently guested on the Binge Movies podcast uh, ran by our friend Jason. Not Jason Nerdover, different Jason. Uh, you know that your, your community is growing when you have repeat names among your listeners and friends. But uh, I guested on an episode that was about the top... 10 movies, uh, box office successes of the year 2003. And uh, I we talked about the bottom five. And that's, I'm only bringing this up because then it led to him bringing me back for a different episode where I was, it was kind of like a showdown between, uh, if you listen to the show, it'll make sense. But it, he basically spends a season picking up movies from every episode. At the end of every episode, he picks a movie. And then in the final episode of the season, all the movies that have been picked by him and then by his guests are are thrown together in a, in a final battle. And so I was defending his list and that meant that I had to watch the movies that were on his list. And that meant I had to watch Real Steel, Alex, the Hugh Jackman vehicle from a few years ago. I think that he was halfway through his Wolverine career at the time, mm-hmm. 2011. So I'll tell you about that as well. So on my end... Exorcist 2, Exorcist 5, I guess, is the, the, the new one. Uh, all the Wes Anderson shorts and Real Steel. I loaded uh, After Hours with that. And, but, you know, we're going to go through these. They're not going to be like super deep conversations. They're going to be like bite-sized reviews. Letterbox reviews. The snappy ones. It was just like a couple lines and a rating. So, oh, that's right. That's that's what I do. You you actually will pen real reviews for them. <laughs> Sometimes, if if the movie gives me something to work with, then I'll I'll write something. Um, so that's that's ready for you on your after hours. And then, if you want to be part of that select group that gets to give us things to watch, whether they're quick video reviews or or movies for the main feed or movies for the patron feed, well, that's when you join the five dollar tiers and ten dollar tiers. Just 
go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash contrarianprime. Look at the tiers, see what tickles your fancy, and uh, join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10, our respective tiers, as Julio outlined. $1 will get you in access to our previous projects like our tremendous Roxena mega series and our Lindsay Lohan journey as well uh, throughout her career and life. Uh, as announced on our original Sin episode, we have some patron goals uh, for future projects. Uh, like I said, we're not going to go through that spiel each time, but check out that episode or our social media accounts. will also have more information on that. Um, but yeah, to all of our current patrons, we love you all dearly. And as I like to say, we are always accepting applications for new ones. They will be quickly reviewed and accepted and you will have access to all the goodness that's there. And Julio opened up the chat, too, on our patron page. So if you have the mobile app, uh, join the discourse, as they say. And uh, I don't know. I, I have so little to offer in the way of modern <laughs> cinema. But, you know, there's a lot of discussion to have there with some of our uh, wonderful patrons. You watch movies, you like movies, and you probably have something to say on that chat. Correct. So Watched, watched all three RoboCop movies the other day. Plenty to say about God, it. God, that sounds... Like an amazing time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex, let's let's put away the patron commercials and uh, let's dive into into real life. Let's take out our files. Yeah, let's take out the files and let's just motherfuck each other <laughs> until we <laughs> until we make each other millionaires. Let's go to real talk. Fuck you. Fuck you back. <laughs> All right, as I mentioned, Aaron Brockovich released on March 17th of 2000, directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Susanna Grant, budget of $52 million, which, as I mentioned, Julia Roberts received an unprecedented salary for her lead role, making her the first woman to break the $20 million barrier. So nearly half of that budget was went to her. So God bless. Like I said, it's her movie. She's the, she's the draw. Uh, like we said, this was peak. This was like the peak of her popularity. And this is, I think, provably the peak of her acting uh, as she won the Academy Award for it. But uh, and as we said, the investment paid off the box office return of two hundred and fifty six million. And um, good on her, man. Get paid, girl. When uh, this is all said and done, I may not say this is my favorite movie of all time, but that's good. Women should get paid. Uh, especially in a situation like this, should, that's uh, that's proper payment. I, I hope Soderbergh, or you know, it's not Soderbergh; it's Universal and producers Danny DeVito, Michael Shamberg, and Stacy Shear. You know, I don't know who gave her the check, but I hope they gave her like <laughs> we the agreed upon check. amount. Yeah, we found was uh, inappropriate, and you know, <laughs> oh. instead of fifteen, it was twenty million. I thought you were going to say that you hope that they brought him like a novelty check. You've won. Oh, like, because she does reference Ed McMahon in that, you know, the yeah. publisher's clearinghouse. Yeah, that would have been a good one. Um, At the 73rd Academy Awards on March 25th of 2001. You want to guess who hosted Julio? Mm, okay, so now that this is tricky. 2001, by then, Billy Crystal might have been gone, so... Is that uh, is that one of the the rare Steve Martin years? Goddamn, pal! Way to go! Uh, it was celebrating the films from the year two thousand, so this will make Julio happy. The most awards and most nominations went to, you know, it, Julio. I need you to say it. Wait, two thousand. So it's not American Beauty, right? 
No, that, yeah, that that'll was be the 99. previous year. Ah, uh, 2000, 2000. Uh, One of your favorites. But see, I can't tell if you're being serious. <laughs> oh, I'm movie. definitely not. Because I'm like, are you going to say it's Gladiator or something? And then I'm it is Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gladiator nominated for 12 Academy Awards, won five. This was also the year that. Bjork in her famous swan dress performed. Uh, what's the name of that song? I, I've, I see it all. I've seen it all um, from Dancer in the Dark. That was the only thing that got nominated for was Best Original Song. And she performed it at the uh, ceremony. Best Picture went to Gladiator. Its uh, fellow nominees were Chocolate with Johnny Depp. Chocolat. Chocolat. <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. Oh my God. Soderbergh was just all over those Oscars. I can't remember which one it was. And I should have done this research beforehand. One of them was delayed because I don't think they were supposed to both be in the same year. I want to say it was traffic got delayed a year because, yeah, Soderbergh just (laughs) he he was lighting cigars with flaming hundred (laughs) dollar bills around this award season, man. Uh, and he took home the gold man for uh, best director for traffic. And uh, Benicio del Toro won for best sporting, right? And the Sodes was nominated twice in the category of best director. What? He, <laughs> Steven Soderbergh, traffic won. The other nominees Ridley Scott for Gladiator, Ang Lee for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Stephen Daldry for Billy Elliot, and Steven Soderbergh for Aaron Brockovich. What a weird fucking lineup. I think no that shit. I, I know you're a gladiator you fan, remember, but I am, but you met like Crouching Tiger, like that caught on like gangbusters. That was wildfire, man. You remember mm-hmm. that came out and everyone was going nuts about it? Yeah. Uh but it didn't do it, like it won best foreign, right? Best foreign picture. I guess now would be the best international. Yes. But that was it. Like that's where it stopped. Not for Ang Lee. Oh, well, he'd he'd get that bad boy. Uh, <laughs> what? Ten years later, he won Best Director for Life of Pi. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the Best Actor category, of course, went to Russell Crowe for Gladiator. Boo. Hey, now. <laughs> God damn, dude. What a murderer's row. Russell Crowe, Javier Bardem, Tom Hanks, Ed Harris, and Jeffrey Rush. So Jeffrey Rush is for... It's not Shine, right? So is it uh, is it that movie with um, where he's a Marquis de Sade? Yes, Quills with Quills. Uh, Kate yeah. Winslet, Ed Harris for Pollock, Tom Hanks for Castaway, which I always forget how actually good he is in that because that movie's become kind of like a joke. Uh, not it, it's uh, parodied is what I meant right. to say. Uh, and then Javier Bardem was for Before Night Falls. That was my thing when No Country came out. People were like. Where'd this guy come from? I was like, dude, he's been nominated for like three Oscars before. <laughs> uh, so we'll save Best Actress for last. Best Supporting Actor. We had our buddy Albert Feeney nominated for Aaron Brockovich. Joaquin, his first taste of uh, Oscar nomination <laughs> for Gladiator. Willem Dafoe for Shadow of the Vampire. Speaking of Nosferatu. Yeah. Jeff Bridges for The Contender. And Benicio del Toro, who took it home for traffic. And do you think that Albert Finney called Soderbergh after? He's like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like my one chance. <laughs> you screwed me, Stephen. 
That was the year um, Marsha Gay Harden won Best Supporting Actress. And For Mystic River? No. Pollock. Pollock. Okay. Judy Dench was nominated for Chocolate. Julie Walters for Billy Elliot. And then, you know, this one I know by memory off the top of my brain. Kate Hudson and Frances McDormand were both nominated for their roles in Almost Famous, <laughs> which segues into Best Screenplay, which Aaron Brockovich was nominated for alongside Billy Elliot, uh, Gladiator, and You Can Count on Me, which all lost rightly to the crowbar Cameron Crowe who took it home for almost famous. <laughs> I can't believe, I mean, I can't because it's, it's part of history and I know it. And I remember just kind of like falling asleep through that Oscar ceremony, but I can't believe the amount of nominations gladiator got like beyond, like I, I like obviously technical would be a given. And then I understand Russell Crowe being nominated for Best Actor and Joaquin for Best Supporting, but Best Screenplay? Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, it's, man, you know, the, like I said, it was something more slightly dignified when it was the five nominees. Because you, <laughs> if you know today that if it was the 10, Almost Famous would have gotten a Best Picture nominee. And so, like, it does make me kind of frustrated that right. it didn't because that obviously is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, but of course our, our flame, our muse, our centerpiece, the actress du jour, Julia Roberts took home best actress beating out Joan Allen and the contender Juliette Binoche for chocolate, uh, Ellen Burstein for Requiem for a dream and Laura Lenny for you can count on me. And the Oscar goes to Julia Roberts. Roberts' first Academy Award and her third nomination. She was nominated in this category for Pretty Woman and for her supporting role in Steel Magnolias. Julia Roberts wins the Academy Award. She was on fire for this and famously or infamously, depending on your point of view, forgot to thank the real Aaron Brockovich in her acceptance speech. Afterwards, she was quoted as saying, it doesn't bring out the Albert Einstein moment that you hoped it would. <laughs> I mean, it it happens. Oh, yeah, there's 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 a certain charm to the folks that would win these and clearly have kind of written themselves off, be it, you know, self-deprecating <laughs> or whatnot. Now it's different cuz everyone's got like their own little, you know, TikTok and act to do, but mm -hmm. always give Joe Pesci a shout out for his acceptance speech of it's my honor or it was my, my privilege or whatever. Mm -hmm. He just has the one line that walks off. So, you know, when you see people like this, there's been cases where people forget to thank their family and shit like that. And it's I will take that over fucking Tom Hooper <laughs> coming in his pants and like <laughs> having everything prepared of what he wants to say. Thank, thanks, Mo and Fricky from when he was eight for, you know, encouraging him to make films and shit. <laughs> I love it up here. So. Aaron Brockovich, Steven Soderbergh, Julia Roberts, Aaron Eckert, <laughs> Aaron Two-Face, man. I, I'm ready to hop right into it. So I propose we just go ahead and uh, the 85 percent. So 15 percent of those registered reviews on Rotten Tomatoes were uh, saying, hey, this ain't all the hype says it is. So, Julio, what, what did you pull? What were the the naysayers spewing? Alex Derisha. 
you might be aware of this already, but there's a, there's a big name among the the green splotches. They'll be our closer. But uh, let's start with Chuck Rudolph from Matinee Magazine, who says, It is not a movie, but a collection of scenes that serve one purpose only, to justify Julia Roberts as a movie star. I think that she was justified as a movie star already. Yeah, Chuck, I hate to break it to you, but I think she had had about a decade in the game at that point <laughs> of being celebrated. So that's why she got paid the big bucks. <laughs> Precisely. That's why it doesn't work the other way around. We're like, let's make this movie and see if we we should pay her <laughs> twenty million dollars. We're gonna give we're gonna give you the carpenter deal. You're gonna get three grand, and then we'll decide what you get after that. <laughs> Uh, next, Robert Wilonsky from New Times. It's the first Steven Soderbergh film to smack of work for hire. Ouch. Ooh. What the hell? <laughs> if you're going to ask him of selling out, then wouldn't you say that the <laughs> his uh, Elmer Leonard adaptation is him selling out? Like, I think that Robert's a little late to the party here, denouncing Steven Soderbergh as not being an India tour anymore. He already made a movie with George Clooney and Vin Rames and Steve Zahn, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I think that the the ship had sailed at that point. Yeah, much like uh, much like with Julia Roberts. Like this is this is a little too late to make that that comment. Uh, next, Harvey S. Carden from CompuServe. Says a feel-good film with all the numbing predictability moviegoers seem to demand. A little insulting. Yeah, I, I, it's that sounds like something I would say. Uh, and we're gonna close with Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun Times. Second episode in a row that Ebert gets a quote, except this time it's a negative. The film lacks focus and energy. The character development is facile and thin. And what about those necklines? Whoa, Roger, the hell. Is he really criticizing Julia Roberts' wardrobe in this movie? Raj, come on, man. You're better than that. I mean, maybe they, they just called Ebert on a bad day. It happens. I mean, the man watches movies all the time, you know? Yeah. He might have been tired. His bagel wasn't that good. <laughs> they made his egg over easy when he asked for it uh, sunny side up, you know? And it was an egg sandwich, so he didn't notice until he bit into it, and the yolk just <laughs> ran down his chin. It got all over his shirt. God damn it. <laughs> fucking fucking Julia Roberts. <laughs> all right, so she was definitely America's sweetheart at this uh, point in time. Has she already made the movie America's Sweethearts? <laughs> so... I think where most people start is Mystic Pizza for Julia Roberts. Not and Pretty Woman? Well, Mystic Pizza is beforehand. That's 88. Pretty Woman wasn't until 90. Uh, Steel Magnolia is in 89. That's like what I probably associate with her most besides Pretty Woman or um, uh, this, of course. Uh, Flatliners she was in, which is kind of funny. That was the same year as Pretty Woman, which elevated her into a different stratosphere. Uh, she's, of course, Tinkerbell and Hook. Uh, the player, so she has been in. She is in Contrarian's canon, barely. The Pelican Brief, something to talk about. Uh, and then the big ones coming into this were My Best Friend's Wedding in '97, Stepmom in '98, and then in '99 she had the one-two of Notting Hill and Runaway Bride, and then she made Aaron Brockovich. So 
just nonstop. Good God, Stepmom made $160 million. <laughs> That's an Alex Maddox movie, right? Uh, it's it's fine. It's just one of it's like um when I'm trying to like stress like something random. Like if I'm trying to <laughs> it's like uh Polka, West Virginia or Duluth, Georgia. Like when I'm trying to make an example of just like a random ass town somewhere. So if I'm trying to make an example of a random ass movie, I'll say stepmom. <laughs> I do remember seeing that when it came out though, as a kid. It was like around Christmas time, and I was like, "She's so pretty," and that uh, that definitely, like I said, I watched this movie under the false pretense that it was going to be some you know titillating film uh, because Julia Roberts was very hot uh, to me as a, a youngster, and she's obviously a a very very pretty woman, and I think that um, no pun intended, and that kind of segues into where I kind of stand in a lot of ways with her career and this movie, Julia Roberts had, you know, I can't be dramatic enough in saying once in a generation or, you know, once in a lifetime, uh, no, not Roxena or, um, (laughs) you know, just a look unlike anyone else that has ever, I don't want to say lived, but anyone who has ever been on television or film no one has ever looked like julia roberts and there's like movie star beauty there's that girl next door thing and there's just an intangible it was like uh on our planet of the apes qvr we recently did kind of talking about charlton heston and like how he was like a movie star Mm -hmm. because no one fucking looked like charlton heston man that big just chiseled jaw and you know those just that ruggedness about him and like that's with her that's julia roberts man that's a movie star no one's ever quite looked like she did and that's you'll never mistake her for anyone julia roberts is not anyone it's not uh dylan mcdermott and dermot maroney you're not going to confuse <laughs> julia roberts for anybody <laughs> at any point in time the thing with me is that i've always understood that part of it but um and i was also kind of always partial to her with short hair like in the early 90s but um i never felt that way about her acting i think she's a very good actor but i never felt like she was like a once in a generation actress if that makes sense i i that's you can say that about several people throughout history that had absolute movie star looks that no one else was able ever able to replicate but the their acting wasn't up to snuff there's some people you could say that like looked great but their acting sucked and and that's not necessarily how i feel about julia roberts it's just this being the pinnacle of her acting and that's kind of where i come away from it of she she's she's good but I don't think it's like this great legendary performance. Are you on the Julia Roberts bandwagon? Like, do you think she's an all timer? Where, where do you sit on this fence or which which side of the fence do you sit on? I admit, I don't know shit about shit, but I know the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> I think uh, on the bandwagon, I, I guess I am kind of like on leaning outside, like maybe one foot out, one foot in. But I definitely more in than than you are i 
I think it goes beyond the looks. I think, and I find it because I do have to note Julia Roberts is a movie star <laughs> in my little <laughs> notebook. Because that was all I kept thinking. I was like, this is this movie works as well as it does because Julia Roberts is a movie star. And it's not just the looks, which you, I, I agree with you. It's just she looks like Julia Roberts, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, it's it's an intangible. Like you said, you know, it's like you don't learn how to look like Julia Roberts. I guess you can have people kind of like make you look like Julia Roberts. But it, but in the end, you still have to have like something that a starting point. And so she has that. And then, I mean, one thing is looks. Another thing is charisma, like screen presence. And she has that. She can you can point the camera at her and she just she's going to deliver or like the likability that, that you know, it's easy to connect with her. <laughs> And it's not like I'm an expert on her filmography, but I've seen enough Julia Roberts movies. I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's an easy in, right? Soderbergh can point the camera at her and she can go on these speeches and rants. And some of them would be so cringy if they were delivered by somebody that doesn't have that quality. But but she pulls it off. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not cringy anyway, but, but I can get through them because Julia Roberts is delivering them. And I don't know what it says about the academy or her career or her movie choices or whatever that this is the movie <laughs> that she got an oscar for right um mm-hmm. it feels almost like it's a reward for doing something different maybe not so much a reward for like the quality of the performance uh, and i'm not saying that the performance is bad i think that the performance is exactly what this movie needs <laughs> but it's just that the movie itself is just uh I mean, I don't want to demean crowd pleasers, but I was going to say just a crowd pleaser, right? There's nothing particularly challenging about the movie, which means that there's nothing particularly challenging about her performance. And I don't mean challenging to her, but I mean challenging to the audience. But I don't know. I mean, you know, that's it. I complain about dramas and really dark stuff hogging the awards. And so there should be room also to award every now and then. You just award <laughs> a crowd pleasing performance, which is what this is. Um, and I can't really speak because I haven't seen most of it. Let me the... tell you about this movie called Green Book, Julio. Well, <laughs> now you're going to the extreme. <laughs> now, <laughs> because that's ultimately what it boils down to is like, what was it competing against? And uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to just focus on the, on the Oscars, but just because it's it's really one of the things that it's that the movie is known for. You know, we joked about it at the beginning of the episode in Contreras Corner. Like, this is, this is a movie that gave Julie Roberts the Oscar. Uh I think personally, also not knowing what she was competing against, she was probably more deserving in Pretty Woman. I think that that is not having watched Pretty Woman in a while. I feel like that role, if you wanted to reward, you know, screen presence and just like that, <laughs> just that quality. I, of I don't know, man. I, I got it pulled up right here. Uh, Kathy Bates and Misery Beater. And I, I might have to side with that. I guess. I guess. Okay, forgetting forgetting about the just putting the the two performances side so, by side. I well, the thing that like I'm, <laughs> I'm putting together in my brain right now is why she probably got it, and why people loved it so much is because the character of Aaron Brockovich feels like Vivian Ward grown up. Like it feels like you know <laughs> this is the the progression of Pretty Woman. You know, not literally, but I could see in their mind being like, oh, you know, 10 years later, you know, she's back and, you know, she's tougher than ever and she's learned things along the way. Yeah, but maybe Pretty Woman, I think, makes no bones about being a fairy tale. And so 
Whereas yes. like Erin Brockovich feels like, you know, it wants to be gritty, but it also wants to be kind of this, you know, not quite a fairy tale, but it's still, you know, it's a story where like, you're not really meant to focus on the fact that so many of the people in this town are dying, regardless of how much money they get, you know? And that is a choice. That's a storytelling choice. <laughs> and I just can't help that I was like, I'm fine with the movie not doing that, but but it definitely pigeonholes it into like a very specific type of movie. You know, this is a movie where we're going to focus on like the happy things and the the good things and the triumphs and all that stuff. And that's good. That's, you know, that type of movie has a place. And Julia Roberts' performance here is like perfect for that type of movie. But man, even like, I think she's fantastic in My Best Friend's Wedding. And uh, that's... <laughs> minor spoiler for those of you that care about our scheduling that's coming sometime in 2024 so i'm not going to talk much about my best friend but i think that that's you know if you're talking about like perfection in a specific genre just like she's i think she's perfect in this for what aaron brockovich needed her to be for what aaron brockovich is i also think she's perfect for what my best friend wedding is and what she's also uh to give her her cred she's fantastic in uh, charlie wilson's war i think that's a really underrated movie that's right she's in it yeah yeah yeah. that's also like her stepping out of the the box i guess because yeah you're i mean you were reading all those titles it's like yeah she she was kind of a on that rom-com tear for a while and I mean, it was good for everybody, you know. She was; <laughs> they were making money. People were liking them. Yeah, and her her big ones after this, like what the the Mexican American Sweethearts. She's in the Ocean movies, Oceans movies, uh, Mona Lisa Smile, uh, and then what was that one she did? When we were at the uh, Eat, Pray, Love. That was like the big gals get together and come to the movie. And mm-hmm. then she was, of course, in August Osage County. And uh, Larry Crown, which is a <laughs> terrible movie that <laughs> is like shockingly bad. But yes, to the, to the point of um, getting back to what you were saying, she it worked for everybody. It's not one of these things. That, it, it's like, you know, the Adam Sandler thing of people are like, How why does he keep you? doing it? I'm not I'm comparing the situations, not the the performances of the movies, but it's the thing of like, why does he keep doing these? Well, you you see the all those zeros after the dollar sign there. That's uh, and same thing here. Yeah, she I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the most challenging role she's ever done is. And that's not to anyone's real detriment because she's made a bunch of movies that have made a lot of people happy. And believe you me, it's made her really happy. And her kids and her grandkids and great grandkids. So I don't know. But that's I watch this and I'm left wondering, like, because the script is just so milquetoast. It's like, here you go. It's going to be she's going to swear and it's going to be funny and charming. And uh, she'll have some quippy one liners from time to time. And she'll wear these fun outfits. And uh, which, again, I'm, I believe is 98 to 99 percent true on what happened in real life. But <laughs> there is no way like it's like there's, there's no way that the Aaron Eckert character existed or if he existed, there's no way that he was the way he is in the movie. Yes. Uh, George might have been her brother who lived with her or something. <laughs> but I, I guess through this discussion and watching this, that's where I found my thoughts of like she could be the the great actress that she's been touted to be. And I've never really accepted because I, I've never really seen anything with her closer maybe is 
her kind of stepping out, but you know, I've never seen her do like Randy the Ram. I've never seen her do something where she really is trying and going for something. But but that's the thing. Like, does she need to? Because uh, clearly not. I mean, not not like financially, but what I mean is like, not everybody has to do the wrestler. You know, like not everybody has to have like that that turning point in their careers where they just take on a role that I guess redefines what people think of them as performance. Like I think that they, it would be just so weird if everybody did it. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that Julia Roberts knows what she's good at, what she's great at, and she just does it because, you know, it's like especially she already got the Oscar, so <laughs> she doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. For the first time in my life, I got people respecting me. I don't know. I, I like her. I, I think that as a movie star uh, and as movie stars being uh, this this sort of um, species in danger of extinction, <laughs> I I welcome all her Julia Robertness, and uh, I I am more likely to go see a movie that has Julia Roberts just doing the Julia Roberts thing, just like a, a uh-huh. fun rom com, than than Julia Roberts as the wrestler, you know. And I was yeah. like, why do I feel like this conversation is familiar? It's because we had it about uh, Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> okay, Julia Roberts is a better actor than Jennifer Aniston. I'll, I'll definitely say that. You don't think Jennifer Aniston could play Aaron Brockovich? No. <laughs> 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 there you go. Jennifer Aniston is someone who, especially for the time period, was unbelievably attractive um, that I don't think... And I'm a big Along Came Polly fan, you know, so I'm not discussed in our patron channel heavily, but I would not call what she's done for the past 30 years acting. (laughs) It's kind of the same thing, though. It's just that some some I don't think that the the performances are the problem. You know, it's just the the screenplays. I, I think that a lot of it is just like, well, this is the movie that they end up making. And it's not a movie that really highlights their strengths in the way that others do so i think julie roberts has like a lot more hits a couple yeah i think it's safe to say i also think that she is a movie star and jennifer anderson isn't but that's that doesn't mean that they're not in the same ballpark when it comes to where their 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 talent lies as far as you know what their strength is as 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 actors Uh, I, i think it's that kind of you know they have that likability they have that they can deliver like that dialogue and make it work uh how do you feel about the now that we're in real talk? How do you feel about the the big speeches in Aaron Brockovich? Like the the big like the Oscar clips and trailer clips and <laughs> just like the movie's gonna stop so that Julia Roberts or Albert Finney or maybe even Aaron Eckert can deliver a monologue. Give me an award. That's what that says to me. <laughs> Look, the way movies are made and presented uh, in kind of a mainstream vacuum have constantly altered over time. And it seems as though back in the day, you know, the 40s and 50s, the long set pieces with consecutive dialogue uh, uninterrupted were really strung together. And that seems to be something that's kind of come back over the past 15, 20 years. But that 90s uh, to mid 2000s, there was that. The big movies, like the big dramatic uh, award movies, the, the you know they would 
a lot would happen and then they would stop to let you know when the important shit was happening uh i may not be a smart man but i know what love is like forrest gump comes to like a <laughs> screeching halt in that scene and it's great it works for what it is and that's the thing here too if i liked this movie more i would defend it and say that that was just kind of what was necessary at the time is that you're going 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 and then you have to stop to let your audience know what's important and you know the the best movies the greatest movies and this is not exclusive to any time period this is any movie ever are the ones that you can't decipher when something's like that the director's like this is this is what's supposed to be important this is what's not it's when everything kind of comes together and you're left like oh man but remember this in the midst of all this shit it's that's also the best dialogue too is when you you get lost in a scene and then someone drops just an unbelievable you know piece of uh uh davis it's a little careerist and it's a little square and it's a little sad that's just kind of in the middle of all the chaos that's going on there <laughs> so I, I i'm with you in the sense of or i i'm to answer your question rather uh it's kind of like a time capsule of watching movies to me of the you know 10 or 15 year span of serious movies okay slow down we got to make sure they know to pay attention right here <laughs> which you, you would think would be way more prevalent today you know, all right, put your cell phone down, pay attention to this part. But that that was something uh, of that time period. And it's just that there's no attention span today to sit through a monologue. <laughs> like, nope, not doing it. As someone who has rewatched the um, before trilogy, I don't know if you could get someone born after 2005 to sit down and watch those movies just without <laughs> being on their phone. Or, you know, having to take a break. <laughs> I have faith in humanity. I think that it, it would be possible, but you would have to take the fun away from them. <laughs> um, tape it behind the TV so they know it's there and they stare there just to make sure no one comes and takes it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't care much for it either. I I agree with you that it's something that is kind of like baked in the type of movie that Aaron Brockovich is. And again, it it is that type of movie very successfully, uh, starting with Julie Roberts's performance and then just all the way through the way that they tell the story and how they navigate what could be some really dark waters. And, you know, they, they sell this to you as an absolute triumph, which, you know, it is. But also, like I said, it, it kind of skips out on some of the darkness. And, but as I was watching it, even with the, Julia Roberts star power. I did cringe a little with when they got to those. The dialogue's uh, too much, man. But it's not the performance. You know what I mean? Like I think she's doing what she can. And they told her, like, here, this is a showstopper. This is the one that's gonna be on all the commercials. It's gonna be on the trailers. If you get nominated for an Oscar, you know, <laughs> that's what they're gonna play. That's the brilliance of that scene in Hamlet, too, is the uh two students acting it out are so bad that you're kind of left there hearing what the dialogue is. And it's that scene of <laughs> six is the age of, you know, uh, three mm-hmm. is the amount of uh, ex or children I have. And two is the ex-husband and zero is the time you're going to call me. And uh, without Julia Robertson to a far lesser extent, Aaron Eckhart there, <laughs> you're just like, what the fuck is this dude? <laughs> 
Hey, how the hell do you remember your bank balance right off the top of your head like that? See, that impresses me. You're dead wrong about that zero thing, baby. So I think that what we're kind of like going around and around is that uh, the movie's not as good as the Julie Roberts performance. <laughs> yes. Or maybe she succeeds actually, despite the material. Yeah, yeah. And it's not... Again, I'm not saying that the that, that the material is necessarily bad. I mean, I think it's it has some weak moments, but it is just that I think that a lot more people like you and me wouldn't think twice of celebrating the performance if the movie was better. But as it is, what it feels like, Correct. this is her best performance? I don't know, because this is a movie that's not that great. And that usually, you know, creates a dissonance that just <laughs> pushes you away. That's why I think, you know, I have I'm more inclined to to praise idolize her performance in my best friend's wedding or or pretty woman which are movies that i think are are better than erin brockovich and therefore <laughs> their performance is a better movie it just enhances it somehow so not i mean you know i've seen better Soderbergh movies i've seen better uh susanna grant movies so <laughs> it's it's just not a highlight uh, of anybody there it's just uh you know i i will say though it's I definitely believe the person that wrote this wrote the soloist. And I mean that in the sense of just like <laughs> preying on what are lines and what are situations that I can quickest cut to like the core of John and Jane Q viewer and just like how what's the easiest path, the the path of least resistance to get there. And, you know, you're talking about the performance being better than the movie. And that's kind of it's funny because. Obviously, because we just read over the Academy Awards from the same year, but that's Russell Crowe's good in Gladiator, but Gladiator is a much better movie than his performance in it. So it's, you know, that works both ways. And I know you may disagree on it, but it's to it's <laughs> looking to make, up the looking up the gif of Thor going, is it, though? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make the point uh, to kind of piggyback off yours that it does work both ways right now. Now, uh, we've come to our conclusion on that front. And uh, before we get out of here, we got to. Got a little piece of business to address here. Um, Aaron Eckhart as a biker. What the fuck, man? <laughs> is he the weakest element in the movie? Yes. Yes. Why? Uh, I, Explain I mean, this to me because I'm still trying to make sense of it. Is it the performance? Is it just that? So here's the I deal. I just don't buy that this person exists. What is it? The situation is that he is the only character besides Aaron Brockovich and Albert uh, Feeney, uh, Ed, Edward Mastery, that we are around enough to think that they are an integral part of the story as well. But he is written as vapidly and as like just hollow as all of the other side characters. You know, Marge Helgenberger, uh, who else? Um, Peter Travis Coyote. Walter, Peter Coyote, <laughs> yeah, like they're all characters that are there, but they're just there to help this part of the story go along. They are not part of the story. George is meant to feel like part of the story, but he is written as minimally as all the other characters. And also, he just seems like an idiot, like he uh, not an idiot, but as you immediately called out in Contrarian's Corner, is just way too good to be true, way too patient, way too... Because, like, when they... It's a movie that has no real sense of time, but there's the part where uh, the earrings, he's like, that was six months ago. It's like, motherfucker, you've been doing this for six months? <laughs> <laughs> 
And so like the extent of what they give him for character development is the longing shot of him looking at the leather daddies rolling down the street. <laughs> Which is hilarious in no intended way. But I, I'm not going to blame him for it. It's just the writing is mm-hmm. not good. Yeah, that is 100% the writing. And I think that, uh, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, I guess, because I was just, my main focus was like, we need to talk about the Julia Roberts performance and, and just flesh it out. But the the fact that the real Aaron Brockovich seems to have been heavily involved in the production, or at least I imagine she was just because, you know, it's her story. She got paid for it. She shows up for a cameo in the movie. And uh, I wonder how that influences the way that the story was written, you know, is she a producer or something? And uh, She's Nick Nolte in Tropic Thunder, just sitting there, the consultant the whole time. <laughs> is this how it happened? <laughs> well, I think it's the other way around because I, it, it's weird because I saw some quotes from critics referencing uh, Aaron Brockovich's, the character's growth and her development throughout the movie. And I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I think that she... Yes, she apologizes to Aaron Eckert at the end, and she kind of says thank you to Albert Finney at the end. But it's so weak, like such a weak beat that it doesn't feel like like it redeems how, like I said, and there's kind of like how ungrateful and how just it exonerates her of being like using him for all that time and you know not being appreciative of what he did. She's just like, hey, look at this, look what I did. And it's yeah. like, okay, I'm off the hook now. You smiled. We're good. <laughs> it's it's literally, you know, it's just words. You don't see her like, d- that's just the thing. Like, it, you know, actions speak louder than words. And, and there's no action. She literally, all she does is say like, oh, I'm sorry. And then, oh, well, thank you. It, it, that is, but that's like the bare minimum, right? And that's okay. If, you, if your movie is just about... It's not about her growing, you know, it's just about her beating injustice. And that's great. But it would be a lot more interesting if if you also saw her grow, right? If through this journey and through achieving justice for this town, she also learned something about herself or she, uh, you know, she grows as a person. But she doesn't really. I mean, you know, she makes more money. She, she learns some skills. But there are two characters. The only other two big characters in the movie, you know, are the ones that should be helping her grow. And that is Aaron Eckert and Albert Finney. Albert Finney should teach her she, how to be professional, right? She teaches him how to be brave, how to take chances, and he teaches her how to work with people because she's just so, she can be so abrasive that it can be a detriment to, to her work, you know? He teaches her teamwork. And Aaron Eckert teaches her that it can't be just about work, right? That you have to have a balance, uh, a work-life balance. And uh, none of that happens, <laughs> <laughs> all that happens is that she teaches them that she will prevail and that's fine you know for like a movie that's interested in just showing you that but it would be at least for me so much more interesting if her character had acknowledged some of her flaws even if she didn't overcame them like at least have the movie acknowledge them more than they more than movie does now so I, and that's another reason why it's just doesn't work as well for me as you know i guess for the academy <laughs> Which is also weird because they make a point in the story to have like those scenes of like, no, you can't have it all. You can't be Superwoman because you're missing your kids grow up and the sky's leaving you. But then the movie ends with like, nope, she can have it all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's never, you know, she cries in the car, but there's not, 
you're right. It doesn't lead anywhere. You know, the, the, the only reason that we're assuming she gets a happy ending where she has a better work life balance is just because, well, now she makes more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that's, that's it. And because Sheryl Crow tells us so. <laughs> yes, that's, that's why every day winding roads everywhere for everybody. <laughs> and I think the biggest thing to call out with Aaron Eckhart is that he looks very strange retroactively because he, for the following 15 years after this movie curated his image to be the clean shaven guy with the Sandy blonde hair that varies in length, but is you know, always kind of pushed to the side a little bit. He kind of made, he had the Aaron Eckhart look, you know, no reservations. Like I mentioned, black Dahlia, uh, dark Knight is what most people know him for that battle. Los Angeles Olympus has fallen. (laughs) London has fallen. He has that, Aaron Eckhart look about him. So seeing him in this with, you know, that fucking Rick Steiner mustache that he's got at the (laughs) beginning is just ridiculous. And, you know, in closing on the Aaron Eckhart front, he tries. It's just the character. There's really nothing there. I mean, they offer you this role and the the new Julia Roberts movie. Get to make out with Julia Roberts. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's like, what else did he have going on at the time? I mean, yeah, I'll do it. Got to work with Oliver Stone and Steven Soderbergh back to back. That's, uh, you know, there's only X number of people on the planet that can say that. I am really sorry, George. Are the kids eat? No. So, where does it land, Julio? Uh, it's got to be three and a half stars. I think it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. I think it has a really good performance. I just, I appreciate Julia Roberts more as an actress than I appreciate her acting in this movie. And it's, again, she's doing what's required and she's doing it wonderfully. But, you know, if anybody asks me like for recommendations on Julia Roberts's work, I'm not going to put Aaron Brockovich up there. You know, I'll put all the other movies <laughs> that, that I was talking about. Yeah, three and a half. And, and a lot of that, like Julia Roberts's star power is carrying a lot of that that score yeah i gave it three stars in my letterbox review i agree it's a good movie not great it has the keystone performance of her career uh whether you or i think it's the best one or not uh, c plus i guess it would probably translate to like you mentioned uh there's other movies i'd recommend over this definitely pretty woman i think hook there's some fun to her performance in that i like i said charlie wilson's war i really enjoy and so it sounds like we're aligned on this. And now I guess us we, against the world in this one. I was, ab- I was about to say, now we just wait <laughs> for the the hate mail to roll in. And for those listening, what do you think about Aaron Brockovich? It's uh, it's aged interestingly, too, in the things that we called out, the tropes of filmmaking that have kind of faded to the wayside over the past 20 years. So I'm curious if you've never seen it before. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Julio, that concludes Aaron Brockovich, Julia Roberts. Thank you for your time. Where <laughs> where do we go now, Julio? Well, we're going to take a brief break from uh, paying our live stream debts because it's time for another patron pick. And this time it's our friend, fellow podcaster and patron, Paul Myers. Filmbusters Paul, always with, with interesting picks. Mm-hmm. Don't know what he's going to throw at you. And this time he threw uh, a choice, Alex. And I said, I will let Alex pick. Inspired 
by the Rock Cinemax series that we did on Patreon, Paul said, okay, well, I want a Rock Cena follow-up. You're going to pick either a Rotten Rock movie or a fresh Cena movie. The Rotten Rock movie is the infamous now Black Adam, very recent. And the fresh Cena movie is The Suicide Squad, which is also fairly recent. I mean, it's a couple of years old, I think. So it's up to you, Alex. What are we doing next? Well, sounds like I'm not going to escape any of the dystopian superhero <laughs> landscape. So uh, I want to see The Suicide Squad to see because I know Big Match John got some props for that. And it splintered off into a show that he got right for the same character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Went on to HBO. So, all right. James Gunn, you beat out whoever directed Black Adam. (laughs) The Rock will have his day some other time, but it won't be on our next episode. The Suicide Squad coming up. Not to be confused, although you already know. We're talking about John Mm -hmm. Cena. So, you know, it's not the first Suicide Squad. With Will Smith and Jared Leto. Yeah. No, that's not happening. This is the one with John Cena. Uh I'm not going to even list the rest of the actors because I want you to just discover them as you watch. Is this the one with Margaret Roby or is that uh, the Jared Leto one? She's in both. What? They're, are they like canonical? Uh, somewhat. Like the movie that, that we're going to watch references the first Suicide Squad as, you know, something that happened, but it doesn't go into detail and doesn't really require you to have watched it. It's Somehow just- Palpatine returned? Basically, somehow we used to have other characters in, the, in this team and they're gone. Somehow Will Smith had better things to do. All right. And that might be as good a time as any for us to finally do our uh, addendum, not addendum, but our where are they now follow up on Patreon for Roxena because uh, Dwayne, John, Seamus, our buddy CM Punk, we, we got a lot to cover. That's exciting as well. So coming up next, the Suicide Squad. That's how we're going to close November. Let's get out of here, Alex. Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgeiser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast Nación Combi about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the Contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Every season, how much money you make to get right.